0: Today on Locked On Red Wings, we'll do the player predictions for Robbie Fabry, Alex Nedeljkovic, and whether or not Simon Edmonton will make the team. You're Locked On Red Wings, your daily podcast on the Detroit Red Wings. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked on Red Wings podcast. We are your hosts, Brian Fisher and Scotty Bentley. I am a podcast producer for WWJ News Radio 950. While Scotty is locked on Tigers host as well as a freelance journalist for the Detroit News. And today we're going to do player predictions for Robbie Fabry, Alex Nedeljkovic, and Simon Edvinson because Simon Edvinson's best case scenario could very well land him on the NHL roster. So we will talk about him But before we get to any of that, Scotty. First of all, you're looking crispy, you my friend. Almost said something else, my friend.
1: <laughs> you almost did say something else. <laughs> yeah, no, we got a, uh, we get, finally got a, a pro grade uh, camera back, so we're here.
0: You're looking sharper than I am, if I if I do say so myself.
1: Well, that's that's never
0: true, but um, but the Red Wings did announce as well, and I'm gonna just power these out. I don't see any need for a, a in depth discussion on this, but. Red Wings announced all their new numbers, and there's a lot of new numbers to go around. Uh, Oli Mata wearing number two, and on a personal note, I always wore number two growing up because Yuri Fisher wore number two, shared the same last name. So I always root for the guy wearing number two, so I already liked Olimata. I like him a lot more now. Ben Sherratt wearing number eight. What, do you, worn, wear, what do you wear on weekends? W- with the beer league teams? Yeah. Yeah, number
1: two. Still wear it. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. You said as a kid, I was like, I didn't know if that changed or I'm not. I'm still a kid.
0: I'm only 26. All right, man. Never, never let go. <laughs> never let go. <laughs> uh, ben ben Chirot's wearing number eight, which uh, was previously worn by Jake Woolman last season, and before that, everyone knows Justin Ablicator, Andrew Cops wearing an 18, taking Mark Stahl's number. Uh, Austin Zarnik, when he plays at the NHL level, will be wearing number 21 and most recently worn by Thomas Tatar. I don't remember anyone else wearing number 21 off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt Luff wearing number 22. Pontus Andresen wearing 26. All of those Thomas Yurko fans seething right now. Ville uh, Huso is wearing number 35. Jimmy Howard's old number. Robert Haig is wearing 38. Uh, Mark Pissick, Darren Helm's old number, number 43. Uh, UC Uki Nuora, Ni- Nuora. It's been a while since I said it, so got to work my way through that one. Uh, Bernier's old number, number 45. Steven Comfer, 54. David Perron, 57. Dominic Kubalik, Franz Nielsen's old number, 81, I believe. And then Jake Wallman. This is the one that I am surprised to see again because I thought it was one of those ones where Paul Boyer didn't let players have it. And he's wearing number 96, a number we have not seen since Thomas Holmstrom has worn 96. And you know what, Scotty? Screw it. I lied. I said we weren't going to have a conversation about this, but I have one question. Are there any numbers that in your book are just off limits? Because the Thomas Holmstrom one Holmstrom one feels kind of weird and off to me.
1: Yeah, it's, it's definitely been a discourse that uh, some people have brought up on Twitter for sure. Um, I don't think... I mean, like outside of the retired numbers like i i don't think that i don't think 91 is gonna be worn anytime soon no i think that one um, is one of those
0: pseudo retired numbers yeah like for
1: sure. um i think like 13 probably
0: no no that won't get worn same with 40 i think
1: Right. Oh, I couldn't tell if you were shaking me off, like, no, you're wrong, or like, no, you're. He, that no, I'm get...
0: agreeing with you. I'm shaking my head because I agree. Also, not.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think 13 is probably a safe bet to not get worn anytime soon. Um, yeah, yeah. That, there, there's a few, but I, I don't know. 96 is. Uh, I don't. I feel like maybe a, a, a bubble one, even in the like non-retired,
0: retired. You know. Yeah. No, I. That's it's been really- a while, though. It's it a feels weird. weird. I know it. Ha- I know it's been since I think 2011 or 12. He retired at the same time as uh, Lidstrom, essentially same season. So it's really weird to see, even after a decade of no one wearing 96, to see somebody wear 96 because Holmstrom was that guy. But also a defenseman wearing 96. I feel like most defensemen wear like single digits or like repeating numbers. But that could also be total misinformation and just a bias I have in my head. Um, but, you know, Fisher wore two, Lidstrom wore five, Cronwell War 55, so repeating numbers. Brad Stewart wore 23, so I guess it's not that weird. It's just a weird because it's such a high number, but yeah, that's just sure. nitpicking. Anyway, let's get into the real content because we got three players we need to cover today, and now we only have 25 minutes left. Alex uh, this past season, his first season with the Detroit Red Wings after being traded away as a Calder finalist from the Carolina Hurricanes. Got a contract extension with the Detroit Red Wings and uh, put up a 901 save percentage this past year. And a goals saved above expected of negative 11 and a half. Not a great number. Now, there was a lot of conversation surrounding Alex Nedeljkovic following his departure from Carolina about whether or not he could replicate the impressive season he had with the Hurricanes in that shortened season away from a defense defensive core that was much stronger, a team that was much stronger. So the discourse was that, like Huso coming to Detroit Wings this year, was that he was sheltered. And we saw him at times be phenomenal. I mean, he had a 46-save shutout, and then a 46-save uh, one-goal game, I believe, as well. Carried the team on his back on multiple occasions, but then went through stretches like any young goaltender will, where he struggled at times, and Thomas Grice had to come in and take some of the load off. So when you're talking about highs and lows with Alex Nedeljkovic, you're still, I feel like a little bit in the lurch. Scotty, where do you feel like the highs and lows can be for Alex Nedeljkovic this season? I,
1: first off, high point would be uh, exactly predicting a shutout and the amount of saves he had again. <laughs> 46 <laughs> save shutty. <That'll>, that, that's <laughs> a, that's Never an infamous moment for us. We were on us. that first, baby. We were on that the night before. Um you yeah, know, I, I, I think for me personally, like I, I have pretty, I believe in the future of Ned and, and I believe in the future of the goalie position for the Detroit Red Wings. And, and I really do think that if you were to talk like truly best case scenario, like the best type of season that Ned could have, I think there's a reality where he's starting two of every three games at one point and really takes a, a big leap and, and gets into not like last year where you know there was a point where he started every game for like seven games in a row, including back to backs and everything. Like, I don't think we we'll, we'll have that again because we improved significantly in in the other goalie uh, position on this team, but I really do think that with how young he is and, and how much promise he has shown in his first two seasons here, that he could take a really big step forward and, and truly become that like 1A goalie, uh, even with the improvements, um, really organizational-wide, not just at the Red Wings um, level that, that they've done at goalie this offseason.
0: Yeah, so when it comes to talking about best-case scenario with Alex Nadelkovic, I mean, obviously I think best-case scenario is he comes out and cements himself as a starting goaltender. No need for a tandem whatsoever. 9.25 save percentage. Best-case scenario. But if I'm talking about my realistic expectations for him, I, I want to see him have a better year than he did last year. I mean, he came out at the end of the season, Scotty, and said that he wanted to do better and that he wasn't necessarily happy with the results he got this season. We obviously disagree. We think that given what the kind of team he was on, he looked phenomenal, especially at certain times. But I do want to see that save percentage taken. An, an, a tick up, go up to in the 9.10s, 9.15 range, that's a very good goaltender. And I think it's really in the realm of possibility because of the fact that, if I'm being honest, I don't necessarily any longer, now that Alex Ndalkovich has Vili Huso and Vili Huso has Alex Ndalkovich, I don't have a, I won't say I won't have a desire. I'll always have a desire for a starter. But I don't necessarily need Alex Ndalkovich to be the bona fide starter. If he and Vili Huso, and we kind of talked about this when we talked about Vili Huso, their, their, their conversations are intermingled. Because they have to be. They're the goalie core. If Alex plays 41 games in a perfect world, they play half the season, and Vili Huso plays the other half. He has plays 41 games, and you see a marked improvement in his uh, ability, as in like he goes to that nine fifteen save percentage range, and Vili Husso is around the same range too, nine fifteen save percentage in 41 games, and that's a perfect world. They're not going to have exactly matching statistics. I realize that. But if they cement themselves as just that dangerous 1A, 1B tandem, that is a perfect situation in my eyes for Alex Nedeljkovic. 41 games, maybe somewhere, 41 to 55 games played, 915 save percentage, and just have one of the best tandems in the league. That is my realistic best case scenario for Alex Nedeljkovic and, you know, in extension, Vili Huso.
1: For sure. And and I I agreed with you on who on so I, I very much agreed with you that that was the best case scenario for him. I just I and maybe this is a, a fault of of me, but when I have many of those looking at, when I'm looking at the two of them, I I still view Ned as well. I guess when looking at the future, of the Red Wings, I still view Ned as like, hey, if he shows out, he's going to be here for a very, very long time. And who so is more of like this? And, you know, this is a it was a great pickup. Um, I'm really, really pumped about this season. I'm pumped about the next several seasons, hopefully, with the two of them in net together. Um, but I'm still like, you know what? When Coase is ready, like he's the one that's going to get the boot if everything goes accordingly, I think. And so I, I, I do lean towards – and I'm not saying this is going to happen, but, uh, you know, if we're just talking about the ceiling that he can achieve this season, I think the ceiling would be him – even with the addition of Huso, like still being a, a 1A to somebody else's 1B, I think would be a, a, a massive step forward play-wise and would be, uh, I, I don't know, important going forward. Yeah. Again, I, I, I agree with you. I don't need it necessarily for this season because we have two solid goalies, but... Um, I I think that that's probably still my best case scenario for him.
0: As far as worst case scenario goes, because we got to get to an ad break real quick, but I'll, so I'll just pump this out. I, I don't think this um,
1: is yeah too long though.
0: Worst case. No worst case. I think worst case he has a season much like he did this year,
1: yeah. and
0: I mean that would have to be. I, I think worst case scenario this year would even if it's the statistical line is the same would honestly should be worse from last year just because the team is better around him and then he has a reliable other goalie to bounce off of. So if he has. Similar stats as he did last year, that's a step back in my eyes because the team around him is, at least on paper, better. Yeah,
1: no, 100%. The, the defense is supposedly, you know, uh, again, on paper, I guess is what I should say, way better than last year. So, I mean, you're talking about, uh, I, I think for worst case would be at some point he becomes a 1B and you're talking about a high 800, like an 890, whatever save percentage again uh and he loses the privilege of being again kind of that like somewhat 1a guy um and yeah i, I whatever is fully healthy but only starts 35 games or whatever you know what i mean like yeah. that would be that that would be worst case for me for sure and if okay. you're talking about that line yeah if he stays in like the 890s or even like 900 that would probably be uh considered a step back given the improvements on defense
0: Yep, I agree. Uh, and when we come back, we'll move on and talk about Robbie Fabry. Um, but before that, I got to talk to you guys today about drunk driving and why you shouldn't do it. You're hanging out with some friends and putting them back a few drinks. A few becomes a few too many. As the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride. But nah, you live nearby. You can make it home okay. It's not a big deal. What are the odds you get pulled over anyways? And even so, what is the worst that can happen? Your insurance goes up. You lose your license. You lose your job. You total your car. You kill somebody. Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that still doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So, If you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled. Segment two, Lockdown Red Wings podcast. Uh, Robbie Fabry. Robbie Fabry. uh, I I have a soft spot for Robbie Fabry. I really do. Um, I think that he, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that Eisman absolutely stole him away from the St. Louis blues. Uh, they traded Jacob De La Rose several years ago. Now I think it might've been his first season with the Red Wings. Uh, Steve Eisman's that is they traded Robbie Fabry for Robbie Fabry for Jacob De La Rose. And, um, and he's been so good. He's been very good. In fact, Steve Eisman gave him an extension this past year, but unfortunately after 56 games played, he tore his ACL in his other knee. He had already tore his ACL twice and one of his knees, whichever one it is, I, I'm drawing a blank on at the moment, but this time it was the opposite knee. So now he has torn his ACL, accumulative three separate times. Uh, he had 30 points in 56 games up until that point, averaging over half a point per game. He had 17 goals on pace to you know, have a 20-plus goal season on that second line with Pew Suter and sometimes Tyler Bertuzzi, had 13 assists up until that point, I really like Robbie Fabry and what he brings to the Detroit Red Wings. And seeing him get injured again absolutely gutted me. He's obviously – the timeline in him is unclear. It always will be. I don't expect him to start the season with the, with the Red Wings, and I'd be surprised if it's before the new year, to be honest. And I know these timelines with these athletes is always like – Mark Pissick, he said four to six months for an Achilles repair surgery. I don't believe that. I think these are major surgeries that take a long time. So if Robbie Fabry can end up playing half of the season or even slightly less half of the season, I'd be happy with that. And I know we don't play, you know, how injury we don't try to, we try not to take account rather how injuries will play into their seasons. But for Robbie Fabry, it is impossible not to take in account how injury is going to play out for his season. So I think coming back, best case, worst case scenario, if he can play, even half the season at 41 games played and can somehow manage to have that half point game production that he had, actually he was slightly over half point a game, but if you can average half point per game over 41 games played, just as a guesstimation, a hypothetical, that would be my best case scenario because it's his third ACL tear. We know how brutal those can be. And I, do we expect him to come back at full speed? Well, hopefully, hopefully they wait, wait until he is full speed to come back, but it's just so hard to predict best case scenario for a guy who's gone through his third injury. And I'm, I'm hoping for nothing but the best. Cause again, I have such a soft spot for Robbie Fabry because I think he's been great for the Red Wings organization. So did Sierra Ivers Eisman, obviously, because this is a guy who took a, f- a flyer on and he m- extended. So he clearly thinks this is part of the core going forward.
1: For sure. And, and I think we all, we all did too, right? Like that he was, uh, he, he was very much a bright spot on a team with not a lot of bright spots. And I, uh, it, it, Super, super rough situation. Never won injuries, period. And just like right after the extension everything just really sucked. Um, Yeah, I think, you know, best case is pretty easy. I think it's, yeah, just that. He he comes back healthy. Uh, He plays as many games as possible, I guess. Yeah, around half a season. Maybe best case would be like a little more than half the season. And uh, his production doesn't dip. I guess that that would be that would be best case scenario, and and he's getting maybe at the beginning third line minutes, and by the end of it, maybe works his way back up to two. I don't know, but um, yeah, I, I think that that's a pretty easy best case scenario because um, of of his given situation. But healthy, playing a lot of games, and
0: um, not dipping in production from where he was pre injury. I mean, he was on pace to absolutely smash his career high in points. He had 30 points in 56 games played. His career high was his rookie season when he had 72 games played and had 37 points. So, I mean, you take his, what I say, 30, 30 points, divide that by 56, and then times that by 82. He was on pace for 44 points that season, which is right in that wheelhouse you want from a second or third line winger. It's just, it guts you, man. He was looking really, really strong. So I, best case scenario is he comes back healthy and he's able to be productive. I mean, that's just the, the bottom line with a guy who's coming off of an ACL injury. And worst case scenario, and I, I'll do this. Worst case scenario, he comes back healthy, but he loses a step speed-wise. And he just maybe finds himself, reinvents himself as a third-line winger. I don't know. It's so hard to tell. And I it almost feels unfair to try and predict Robbie Fabry's best case and worst case scenario when coming off of an injury like this, but I just so want him to succeed. I mean, he had a shooting percentage this past season of thirteen percent. Oh, actually, closer to fourteen percent, which is above league average. And he on <laughs> across his career, with the exception of. Um, the 18, 19 season with the blues, he's always had an above league average shooting percentage. His, the year prior with the Red Wings, where he had only 10 goals and 18 points and 30 games played again shortened season, he had a shooting percentage of almost 18%. So he's, you know, a very good goal scorer. And on top of that can accumulate assists as well at a pretty decent clip. So it's just I really want Robbie Fabry to be healthy. And part of that's a personal bias. I mean, he's just a, I mean, you remember the human underneath, right? Whenever you remember the human underneath, you're like, this is a guy who's overcome adversity twice already. And now has to do it for a third time to try and make a third comeback in the NHL and be an effective player again. And he's done it every single time. And so Personal bias is absolutely in there when talking about Robbie Fabry and how much I want this guy to succeed because I love what he brings to the locker room. And he's got great eyebrow game. (laughs) That he certainly does. No, I I think best and worst
1: case are pretty easy. I mean, like, obviously, worst, worst cases he misses like way more time than we even think, whatever. But if we're presuming that he's going to play around half a season, then yeah, he comes back and um, the production isn't what it was. And now we have three more years of Robbie Fabry, and it's not the Robbie Fabry that um, that we thought we were going to get or or that Robbie Fabry thought he, he was going to be. So that that's probably, yeah, worst-case scenario at the end of the season if we're uh, second-guessing. the the one well, second guessing is probably not the right word because you can't predict injuries, but you get what I'm saying. If we're feeling uneasy about the contract after the season, that's probably worst-case for sure.
0: Well, that's the thing, too, is he just signed that extension and it felt so earned for him. It felt yeah, so it earned. It did. Uh, it's, unfortunately, that's life. When we come back, we're going to talk about Simon Edvinson and uh, his best and worst case scenario because he very well could be playing in the NHL at some point this season. But before we get to that, BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your live betting needs. Find all your favorite sports and events at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games. Find reviews and news of every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports wagering information from live in-game betting, scores, and podcasts they have you covered. Head to Bet Online today, or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. Bet Online, where the game starts. Segment three: Lockdown Red Wings podcast. Scotty and I are talking about Simon Edvinson now. And Simon Edvinson, so far in three preliminary games played with the Swedish team at World Juniors, has, I believe, two points, just one goal and one assist. It was a nice slapshot goal that he had. But I mean, I think, I think beyond all of that and not to break down his world junior gameplay too much, but is to just talk about the amount of minutes he is playing one of those games. He played 26 minutes of defense for the world junior team. And I think that speaks volumes of where the coaching staff. And I am saying this out loud. I'm realizing, well, no dot speaks volumes. They're having him play 26 minutes a night. And that, that does speak volumes of where the coaching staff believes he is as a, as a player. They think this is a guy who at, what is he, 20 years old, 19 years old, something like that, can shoulder the workload of an entire team made up of the best U-20 players in Sweden. That goes to show that he is shoulders above the bulk majority of the players on that team. And I think it shows a lot of what he is capable of at the NHL level. Now, granted, <laughs> huge, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Caveat here. NHL level, U-20 juniors, big gap. But if he's playing 26 minutes, that clearly in my eye shows that he is ready for that next step. And whether that next step is Grand Rapids or Detroit Red Wings, You know, we're not going to find out until Traverse City at the earliest, but I think it warrants the conversation, best case, worst case scenarios for Simon Edmondson in this upcoming season. Yeah,
1: I think best case for me is he makes the team out of camp because he earns it and plays the whole season with the Red Wings and by the end of the year is what a solidified second liner. I I mean like that's second pair. Like that's probably best case. And that's not saying that that's what I, I I'm going to throw money on expecting to happen. But uh, I, I think that that's probably best case scenario for me.
0: I, yeah, I completely agree with you. I mean, Simon Edmondson, while at times has had a couple, uh, Brain farts. As I just had a brain fart trying to think of the word "brain fart." He had a couple brain farts with Team Sweden, but again, you go back to the other side of things. He is still nineteen years old, as I just confirmed. Nineteen years old. He's six foot six, and he's already over two hundred pounds. Which you think, six foot six, he should be over two hundred pounds, but it's hard for a lot of these really young kids to put on muscle. He's already over two hundred pounds, and he's getting heavier in the good in the in a good way. As he as Steve Eiserman put it, he's thick. I think that his body maturation. Has come a long way. I think he can hold his own at the NHL level. The biggest thing is whether or not his brain is at that level yet. And you know, you see a couple of those brain farts here and there in Team Sweden. Overall, he looks great. Again, playing 26 minutes. So with that much exposure, of course, you're going to make a, a, another mistake or two over guys who are playing 13 minutes a night. But at 26 minutes a night, with the kind of physique he already has, the type of play style he has, I mean, he checks all the boxes. The only remaining box is for him is whether or not the hockey IQ is there at the NHL level. So at best case scenario, he makes opening night roster and he is a second line defenseman playing with Philip Ronick. Who would you yeah, pair with I mean, him at like, that point? But that's a different conversation. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, for
1: sure. And, and I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, if he—if they think he's good enough to be second liner, str- like on opening night, and he plays the whole season there, and he's really good there, like that's you know that's even a whole nother level than I was talking about. But
0: I think just. Well, you think about uh, more, Sider came in the league immediately and was top pair defenseman. So I don't think it's a stretch to say Simon Essing yeah, could come in. And granted, different players. A, yeah, well, different players. I I think the bigger thing is different
1: defenses. Like this yeah. is now a defense with Mo Sider. Mo Sider didn't have to outplay Mo Sider. That's a <laughs> great I mean? point. Like that's <laughs> that's uh, a uh, yeah. That, that's a tall task for sure. Um, and, and this defense is just night and day, uh, much improved from from last season. But I I, I think. I, I do think that that's my best case scenario is that he he comes in, he, he's getting playing time uh, right away, game one. And by the end of the season, he's like a solidified, this dude deserves to be uh, a solid second pair D man. Um, and then worst case would probably be uh,
0: what he's in Grand Rapids for like a majority of the season. Yeah. I mean, worst case scenario is he gets his rookie nine, right? They, they they play him nine games at the end of the season, so it doesn't start the clock on his ELC. Right, that dude, he's just not NHL let ready until they and they get eliminated from playoff contention. So they play him for nine games at the end. That's that's worst case scenario, and it's a very realistic. I honestly, I think the truth probably lies. I don't know actually. This is a this is a, this is a conundrum because you you being a baseball fan, you run into this way more in baseball. But that uh, trying to manage the clock on these this young talent. They did it this year with Jonathan Bergeron. Even though the Red Wings probably could use an influx of talent, they decided to wait. They didn't give Bergeron any NHL time at all. They could have given him, I think, because it was, yeah, it was a, they could have given him nine games. They didn't. So you, you get this weird conundrum where you either decide to play him his as many games as possible and sh- screw it, start the clock, or you play him for that minimum nine. It could be at the end of the season. It could be spread out amongst the rest. Call them up. Their injuries—that's the—that's the conundrum because I don't see a, a middle ground. If you're going to call Simon Edmondson up, you're not sending him back down unless he's like abysmally bad, and I just don't see that happening with Simon Edmondson. But I, I honestly, I'm leaning closer to him making the, the team out of training camp. To be honest, because I'm looking at his competition on this lineup. I mean, obviously Jake Wallman just underwent shoulder surgery, so he's going to be out. And there's still a lot of got new guys they signed. He's not going to be given a roster spot. But can he outperform Stephen Comfort? I think so. Can he outperform Robert Haig? I think he possibly could. Could he outperform Jordan Ostrale? Yeah, I think so. Mark Pissick just went under Achilles repair surgery, so he's out. So I think that there is room on this in, in this lineup for him to outperform veterans. I, just because you sign a guy doesn't mean you, he has to make the team out of training camp, right? You could very well just say, this guy's not for us, Wave him. I mean, they have signed so many guys to, you know, league minimum contracts or just south or just slightly north of 1 million that if they decide to wave and he gets picked up, they they don't really care because Simon Edmondson's NHL ready. So just because there are more bodies at the defense, because there's more competition, let's say, doesn't mean he won't outperform. There's not a guarantee he won't make it just because there's more bodies, but there's also not a guarantee he will make it which means yes. yeah, is very much sitting on the fence. But <laughs> I I yes. think he very well could outperform some of those guys. Is what I'm trying to get at. For sure. I, I think no, he has a I, better I think chance there's of a real it possibility
1: than not. he makes the team out of camp. Absolutely. And I think that the um if he doesn't I I don't think if he doesn't make the team out of camp that it's just like oh he's guaranteed to only get the 9. Like I think if he doesn't make out of make it out of camp there's a pretty real possibility that he gets called up pretty quickly out of there too. So yeah.
0: All right. That does it for a uh, Wednesday episode of lockdown Red Wings. It does. Yeah. Uh, got anything you got to get off your chest. We ball. Hmm. You really had to get that off your chest. I did. Okay. Uh, we'll be back on Friday. I have an idea for something to just break up the monotony of these player predictions. But if that doesn't work out, we will come back with another player prediction. Um, just kind of cleaning up the rest of the guys. We still got to do Oscar Sundquist. We still got to do Giovanni Smith. Uh, Steven Comfer's a guy Yo. we got to do. There's a lot of, a lot of guys that are new to the organization that are going to be just quick, rapid fire. Just get them off, uh, your chest. And then we'll be done. And we'll Scotty and I'll have to come up with new ideas. So. Well, I mean, soon here, we're going
1: to start <laughs> camp. Like, not not too far down the road. We're starting
0: camp, so. Yeah, I, try, I can't wait. I can't wait for a multitude of reasons. Yeah, man. Can't wait. <laughs> uh, thanks for making Lockdown Red Wings your first listen every single day. Now make your second listen. Lockdown NHL. Lockdown expert, experts give you daily 30-minute podcast on all things NHL, all year long, stay up to date on everything in the hockey world. Lockdown NHL, your daily 30-minute podcast. Be back on Friday with a new episode. Same time, same place. It's your team every, every day. day.